May our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As many of you know, our readings each Sunday go around on a three-year lectionary cycle. Right now, we're currently in year B, and during the year, we will be spending a lot of time in the Gospel of Mark. And this morning is the first instance of a theme we will hear again and again throughout this year. Scholars refer to this motif as sort of the messianic secret. That's the words that they use. It's sort of a fancy way of saying that basically in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus wants his identity to remain secret. Frequently he tells people that he's healed or demons or things like that. Don't tell anyone who I am. However, Frequently, this insistence has the opposite effect, and Jesus' fame spreads far and wide as people tell about God among them. Now, theologians don't agree on the purpose of this secrecy. There are many different ways of thinking, many ways of trying to make sense of what is going on here. Some argue that Jesus is saving the full revelation of who he is, of his divinity, until after his crucifixion and resurrection. And that Jesus is engaged in this work so that when he is fully revealed, everyone will fully understand exactly what that means. That if Jesus revealed it at the very beginning, people wouldn't have gotten it. Others claim that this secrecy was a form of protection, that Jesus was, was keeping his identity secret so that his ministry could continue until the very end. A form of protection that mirrored the secrecy of the first generations of Christians. Those who would have adopted secrecy for their own protection to escape persecution, to escape martyrdom and death. And in a way, it was almost Jesus saying it's okay to keep something secret. Besides these two, there are many other thoughts on Mark's messianic secret. We don't exactly know what it means, but whatever its purpose, it creates a tension between revelation and concealment. It creates a tension between the characters in the story and the readers, us, who know the full story. We know what's going to happen. We have a different view from those in the narrative who don't. We understand Jesus' words and actions differently. We see this messianic secret in, to, in the tension in today's Story. We first hear the demon speaking, and the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. To which Jesus firmly responds, Be silent. Jesus doesn't want the demon talking, telling other people who he is. 
he quickly squashes this revelation of his divine nature, but it doesn't stop people from talking. It wasn't just the demon's words that proclaimed Jesus' divinity, but Jesus' very own actions. Demon possession and exorcism weren't that uncommon 2,000 years ago. We have contemporary accounts relating to other exorcisms, and they all seem to have a similar rhythm or a pattern that they follow. It involves prescribed incantations, sort of the set words that are proper to say. It involves calling on another's power, whether that other is a divinity or some historical figure like Solomon. And then there are normally elaborate ritual actions that accompany the exorcism. What is revelatory about Jesus' exorcism in the Gospel this morning is the lack of all those things. Jesus doesn't use prescribed formulas, fancy gestures, or call out for the help of another. He simply commands the demon to leave, and the demon does. The nature of his actions reveal something about himself. They reveal that Jesus is one with divine authority, someone who is different, and his actions almost speak louder than the demon's words. I was trying to think of like a parallel in modern day society of what this would be like, and I couldn't come up with anything, but, you know, maybe it's like a doctor today foregoing all the diagnostic tools, surgical implements, and medications we associate with restoring health, and still restoring the patient's health scientifically, not necessarily through miraculous means, but the normal way that you would. I think of maybe Dr. Crusher from Star Trek, you know, waving some medical device over someone. It's something different, something out of the ordinary. It's why those present at the synagogue proclaim, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. The people are astounded because of what Jesus does and the manner in which he does it. Then the Gospel writer tells us that Jesus' fame spreads around the countryside. So while he's able to stop the demon's words, his actions reveal his divinity, perhaps not as precisely as the demon did, but people still recognize that he had divine authority. This tension between revelation and concealment, the messianic secret, that we will see time and again throughout the year. So, what does this have to do with all of us? What does it mean for us here in Massachusetts this morning, the end of January? Demon possession isn't something most of us believe in literally today. 
I can't speak for Nancy, but for myself, really haven't gotten very many requests for exorcism. I've heard more commonly the belief that a specific place or a location may be haunted or have bad energy or negative vibes, but rarely do we talk about people being possessed by demonic forces. Perhaps, for most of us, it seems a little far-fetched. So do we dismiss the story as an anachronism? Or is there meaning here for us this morning? I want to share you about share with you about one time around demon possession. As part of our training, we go through what's called clinical pastoral education, and I did my clinical pastoral education working as a chaplain at Boston Medical Center. And I remember one night I was on call. I did my call nights from home because I didn't live that far away from the hospital. And around 6 in the morning, my pager went off. Normally in the morning when my supervisor would come in, she would take over the pagers and would get a notification that she would come in. And 6 was a little early for her, but I figured, you know what, it was a sigh of relief. I'd made it through the night. I wasn't called in. Everything was good. But I looked at the pager anyways, and it said, please call the psych emergency department. My heart dropped in that moment. Of course, you're never prepared for these things, but I called the psych emergency department, not knowing what I was going to hear. And the person, the doctor who, who picked up the phone said, you know, we, we have a patient here who is claiming to be possessed by a demon. And we were wondering if you would come and speak to them. And I had no idea what to say in that moment. And so I said, now you understand that we don't do exorcisms. And she's like, yep, I'm not looking for an exorcism. I said, you understand most of what we do is provide a non-anxious, non-judgmental listening presence. And she said, yes. And I said, okay, then I'll be in. So I quickly took a shower, got dressed, went into the hospital, and I met with this patient. And they were a young couple in their early 30s. They were from Central America. The woman was the one who was complaining about being possessed by a demon, and she hadn't slept for three days. They had fled to the United States to escape the violence of their own country. And this woman had been through quite a bit. And as I listened to her story, and she talked about how she thought a dark thing, an evil thing, was going to come up into her brain and take over her mind, I listened so deeply, and I heard her explain how they had arrived in the United States six months earlier, and everything now was going well. Their kids were in school. They had a place to live. Both of them were working. But there was this evil thing inside of her ascending up into her head. And as I sat there and I listened, it was a beautiful metaphor for trauma. This woman who had experienced so much was now experiencing some safety that those things resurfaced that she had pushed down. That they were 
coming up that she was afraid that these things would be fully manifest inside of her and she wouldn't be able to think that they would hurt those around her. At the end, we, we prayed for a little bit and I left feeling like I had not done that much. But when my supervisor came in and we went to check on, check in on her, she finally agreed to take medicine and she was asleep after four days of not sleeping. A word of caution here, I think too often we equate demon possession with mental illness, and that's not what I'm trying to do here because it's a problematic metaphor. It's problematic to say demon possession 2,000 years ago was the same of mental illness. Rather, I'm trying to suggest that we can, at different times in our lives, feel possessed. We can feel out of control. We can feel taken over by certain things. And this Central American woman is sort of an extreme case. But maybe in some ways we've all experienced some dark, evil thing trying to take some claim over our lives. One example is addiction. When we become controlled by a substance and can't see our way out, addiction is so rampant in our world. We used to think that we couldn't be affected by it, but it's everywhere. Or maybe a relationship romantic or a friendship or relationship with family that's not healthy. And we can't seem to break ourselves out of it. And it controls us and it controls how we act and our actions. Or maybe we're trapped by the ghost of our past, controlled by what we have experienced, by what we've been through. The negative events lurking in our history can twist and warp what we face today and how we respond to them. Perhaps it's patterns of thinking that trap us and have control over us. Ways of thinking that we developed as helpful sometime in the past that no longer serve that purpose. Maybe it's patterns of thinking that we're not good enough or somehow lacking or that we don't have anything valuable to offer and they restrict and they control us. Or maybe it's something else, something different from these that robs us of ourselves. At different times in our lives, we can feel like the man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And it's at these times that Jesus, the God-man with authority, comes to us in love and care and says to all of these things, be silent. Be silent. Jesus didn't just cure physical afflictions. 
but also attended to the deeply ingrained, unwieldy forces that control our lives. These things matter to God. These struggles matter to Jesus. Frequently, we think that there has to be a sort of spiritual component to what we bring to our relationship with God, or something physical. We readily understand that existential questions of meaning, concerns of faith, the desire to know more about God and to know God deeper, have a place in the sacred. And we also readily place ourselves and those who are suffering with something like cancer or chronic disease or physical ailments on our prayer list. But how often do we bring the daily struggles we have, the times we feel trapped, the general noise of ongoing negative ways of being into our relationship with God? Because these are also in the realm of sacred intention. There really is no separation. There's no part of ourselves or our lives that are separate from God. There's nothing in our lives that God doesn't care about. Yes, Jesus teaches spiritual truths and heals physical ailments. But he also turns water into wine so that a party isn't ruined. He shares meals with people who are called sinners. And he drives demons out of people. Everything that we are, all that we experience is of concern to God. So the question I hear in the gospel this morning is where do you need healing? Where do I need healing? What are we called to bring before God? I'm not saying that everything will be okay, as if some form of magic, but that God's love and light can bring some healing to those tender spots. This morning, bring your full thoughts to God. Open up those tender parts of yourself that need healing. Those parts where we feel like we have lost control and be possessed. Every single part of who you are. And in the power of God, in the authority of Jesus, in the love of the Spirit, find peace and comfort and wholeness.